As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Uh, Bruce, we wanted to have a guest on this week. And so I was thinking about who we should get. And I was like, you know, we got some tweets about Sunday's episode. You were um, yeah, we, usually we both worked a little blue there. You worked a little blue. You're unusually. I mean, you just seemed really angry. I don't know what, what had gone on there. So who is never angry, would never say a bad word. Jenny Taft. Uh, yes, the most uh, definitely the most delightful person in the Fox Sports family by miles. Um, I would go further than that. She might be the most delightful person I've ever met. And and she's, extre- you know, extremely uh, important guest to have on this show because she does the biggest game in the country almost every week uh, through that big noon package. So we're going to ask her about that. We're going to ask her about Curb. She has some firsthand experience with that recently. Uh, and a lot of other great things. Here's Jenny. Pleased to be joined now by our friend Jenny Taft. If you know her from, I mean, this is a college football podcast. You all know who Jenny Taft is because you've seen her on some of the biggest games in the country this season. Uh, in fact, Jenny, I got a press release this week that the Big Noon package is the most watched college football um, broadcast window uh, of the season, higher than sec on cbs higher than abc primetime i mean you guys are superstars now it's pretty wild well first of all thanks for having me on guys i i love both of you i feel like i don't see you enough in person nowadays but yeah what an honor i mean i think the big noon strategy is so unique because there was definitely criticism and hey there's still criticism about that time slot but what's so special is that we've kind of owned it and taken over in that that time frame and I personally love it. I mean, I think it's fun to have that noon window and we've kind of been able to brand it as foxes and I'm not going to lie, getting home Saturday night, kind of a win-win, especially (laughs) you guys know I work on Undisputed during the week. So Sundays are very sacred and there's not a lot of moving from the couch for me. So I'm all in on the noon. I've really, I've really enjoyed it. And Hey, I wake up at four every day of the week anyway. So can we, before we get into the actual football stuff, I want to touch on that. So I am a get up at 4 a.m. 
for schedule once a week. It's for that Saturday for, for big noon. You, you regularly do it. And how do you manage it where like there are some Monday nights? I'm like, why am I falling asleep at 820? You know, it's like or even Sundays, the same thing. So how do you manage it in football season where are you just always on East Coast time? You know, I don't even think about time zones, which is funny because I think I'm always tired. So there's a level of I'm no matter where I am, I'm going to try to be going to bed. I think probably like all of us Friday night, I stay up too late because I'm still prepping and I always feel like there's more I could read about and study about. So I don't go to bed other earlier than midnight really ever on Friday. So I tend to be more tired Saturday morning, no matter what. But then during the week for Undisputed, I do wake up at 4, 4.15. And, you know, that shows, I can't believe it, but I've been doing it for four years. So it's routine in the morning. It's not like I'm cramming. Whereas a college football game, we all know it's different every time. Who am I interviewing? What's my report? You're still, it's just a different level of intense in the morning here. It's really just getting to the lot and it consists of watching all the games the night before. So that's what we're already doing as it is. And I am not, I'm not a morning person. I I wish I could say like, Oh, it's so natural. But every morning I wake up and I just like, even today I rolled out of bed. I'm like, God, I'd rather be asleep. You know, my husband and dog are just lounging right there and I'm getting up, but I love doing both shows, the show, and I love being on the road. So I wouldn't change that at all. I, but I truly like Sunday, if you want to hang out, I'm not available. Like I don't <laughs> make plans. I mean, I I've been, the Vikings are coming to town this Sunday and I'm like, Ooh, I really want to see them, but should I go on a Sunday? So it's, it's just a grind. And then, you know, we'll sleep in January. Right guys. I, I'm getting exhausted just listening to this. Um, the idea of waking up at 4 a.m. is is even even like once a month would terrify me. Um, by the way, Jenny's from Minneapolis. That's why she's talking about the Vikings. There you go. That yeah. is the only reason to point that out right now, considering the ups and downs they've had me on this season and I guess my entire life. <laughs> so you've had, just off the top of my head, you had Oregon, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You had... Red River, which was a, a classic this year. Not this year. No, we didn't have it this year. Oh, never mind. Scratch that. Scratch I that. I know. That it would have been a classic. That was habit thinking. That was just, <laughs> I guess ever since Dicker the Kicker, I just, it's in my brain that you guys have that game. All right. Uh, that lives on that moment, right? I mean, yeah. that's one of Gus's. If it's any consolation, the big noon game in that window was actually not Jenny's game. It was the clunker that me, Brock, and Aaron Goldsmith did at Ohio State, where it was like a blowout. My brother's texting me updates on the Red River game, and Maryland's getting beat by like 40. So, yeah, well, that was a unique weekend. You're right. That was the only I think one. we dragged the big noon window average down in a big way that day. Don't All right, I'm going to ask you a completely together. different question. Um, <laughs> you're, you're very active on Instagram, on social media, and you had a video this week where you of, um, uh, you chasing down Ryan day, I believe, yeah. uh, and showing, uh, giving us a little bit of a window, a behind the scenes window into like what that frantic sequence is like at the end of the game. Talk us through, you know, that's the probably, I guess the most important part of the game, right? Making sure you get the coach on camera at the end of the game. Have you had any, have you had any close calls this year where it almost didn't happen? It's a really good point this year. No, in the past. Yes. I've definitely had moments where storming of the field, is a concern and you want to make sure you get everyone in time this year for that Iowa game, Penn state, Iowa, we, I mean, 
I don't know. Iowa shouldn't have probably stormed. The, the Iowa fans are listening, thinking, yeah, we can. But, that you know, that game. Anyways, we know what happened <laughs> after that one. But we did have a plan with, with the team that I would interview Coach Ferentz in, in the tunnel um, if that were to happen. So they anticipated it. And thankfully, that was set up because those are – as a, I love a good adrenaline rush, but at the same time, that would have been really challenging to find him in time. And if you don't have a plan, it can be more complicated. Like Michigan State, Michigan, just last week, I was talking, or a couple of weeks ago, that we know how great that game was. I was talking to the officers on the field, and they said they really don't think anyone will storm because it, the at Michigan State, at Spartan Stadium, it's so high up for the fans to drop down that it's really dangerous. So it actually worked to our advantage. We didn't have to deal with that. But the idea started when I, it was actually Oregon, Ohio State. So Stu, when I saw you, someone from our Fox um, social team just randomly started filming me because it's, it really is chaos, right? And in that moment, Oregon's celebrating. It's such a moment, whereas you feel the Ohio State fan base, just such a letdown. And seeing the behind the scenes, the video did really well on TikTok. And I just have fun with the behind the scenes because I get so many questions and it's all about the behind the scenes. When someone writes in on social, they just want to know what the day-to-day is like. They want to know what Skip and Shannon are like here. They want to know how we prepare. And I think it's unique to see that adrenaline of a post-game interview, which is truly what I love most about being a sideline reporter, are those moments when you catch a coach or player coming off an incredible, like Kenneth Walker after that game. I mean, the emotion and his teammates were chanting Heisman, Heisman. So I love just being able to capture that and show an alternate view because the broadcast is one thing. And, you know, I love, I just love a good post-game interview. So I've just tried to, you know, offer something fun and unique to the broadcast. Okay. So I want to share the counter to that because I've been in that position and the thing that I probably most admire about Jenny is she is unflappable. I feel like I've never seen her have a, ner- a seemingly nervous moment. I'm guessing this is probably like the duck where there's a lot of stuff going on underneath the water, but you don't see it. Um, so I got two questions for you. One, we share the same sideline producer. Does Prince yell at you as much as he yelled at me? Because I find it hard to believe that he does. And two, So this is a situation where everything is happening on the fly. Sometimes you don't know who's going to win the game till the very last second. Mm. So, and I've, I've made this point to Stu and some of my sports writer colleagues a lot post game. If one of us asks a really stupid question on the field as a sports writer, pretty much the only one who might know it is the other sports writer who might be around Mm -hmm. because usually the player or the coach is too caught up in the moment. They don't really care if you ask the, can you talk about or Mm -hmm. something else? But you ask it, or I ask it if I'm on TV, all of a sudden now everybody's picking it apart. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, how are you parsing in your head, asking a, a reasonable, smart question in the moment, but also doing it on camera where you got the producer in your head, you got chaos around you. So how mm-hmm. are you managing all that? Well, thank you, Bruce. I appreciate that. I don't seem too flappable in those moments. And I do take them... I put a lot of pressure on myself to ask the right questions. And I sometimes almost get frustrated that the viewer doesn't realize I'm being told you only have time for two, right? Because sometimes there's so much more to get to and two questions can never feel like it's enough. So sometimes if it's a two question situation, my first will be more open-ended and broad because I want to hopefully get a lot more out of that. 
but I tend to follow the theme really I, just the, to the best of my ability throughout the game. And that's with anything. But I think a great example of that is Michigan, Michigan State, where we had kind of established this theme of a heavyweight fight and Gus kept going back to it. And, and Mel Tucker in our interview kept talking about, we're going to punch harder. Like we're going to fight. We're going to come to come to play. And it was this theme that was established. So I was thinking about that the whole time. And that was kind of the way I set up the, the Tucker interview. And I do find it's always helpful as a sideline reporter to use something the coaches have said. It, it, creates like comfort. Like they're listening to you. I heard you say that I brought it up with coach day last week. You know, he had described March. He had described November football as March badness. I use that in one of my starting points for a question, because I always find that it makes them feel comfortable that you're listening. You're paying attention to what they're saying. Lincoln Riley this weekend, I'm already thinking he calls it championship November. So how are you going to create that theme in your questions? And I do Ahead of time, think of numbers. For example, Coach Day stays undefeated last week against Big Ten opponents. I know that going in, I have notes that I've thought about. So if he continues, that's an easy segue to start a question. So I would say I plan ahead, but by no means are the questions scripted because you clearly can't. But I do think of themes ahead of time because if not, you're scrambling and like you said, you, you can't ask a bad question anymore. That's exposed to everyone. And I, I take it very seriously. And I think some are better than others. Some are smoother than others, but that's kind of what I enjoy most about it. So you've had the good fortune to see, you mentioned that Michigan and Michigan state game, by the way, the selection committee last night apparently decided it never happened. Oh, yeah, wait, what happened that day? It wasn't the highest watched college football game, right? I yeah, mean, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. They nine million people or something watched that, but apparently not the committee. Um, well, so you've seen them. You've seen Ohio State. You've seen Oklahoma. You're going to see Oklahoma again. Who's impressed you the most? If you were, if if Jenny Taft was the selection committee. I think it's a really good point about Oklahoma because I cannot wait to see them again. I mean, the last time I saw them. That was Nebraska at Oklahoma. A lot has changed. We clearly know Spencer's no longer the guy. So I haven't seen Caleb up close and personal. And as we all know, Lincoln is being very protective of his freshman QB, not allowing media. And I tried all the Jenny charm this week to get a (laughs) Caleb interview and I was unsuccessful, but we do have them next week. So let's see what I can, let's see if I can work my magic this week. I'm like, Lincoln, if if he's going to start with anyone, it might as well be me. It'll be a very comforting, comfortable question. I can tee you up on what I'll ask him ahead of time, but he's got to learn how to do these interviews. So hold me to it. Maybe next week I'll get him. So yeah, I need to see him up close and personal, but I talked to Marvin Mims on the phone yesterday. He really blew me away on the phone and obviously what he's been doing on the field. And I talked to Pat Fields as well, one of their senior captains. And I like where their leadership is at and they claim to not be phased by the playoff and kind of being underrated at this point, but they need to continue to win out much like all of these teams, which we know it's the same with Ohio state. If they went out, they control their destiny. I think Ohio state was a bit unconvincing in their win last week, which we all saw. I'm look, Nebraska, we know the close games they've had this year and (laughs) close enough to keep coach frost as we all saw that announcement this week. And I'm actually happy for him that he's going to have the opportunity to keep this thing rolling because I do believe in the process that they've had and they have fought hard. I mean, these guys weren't quitting and that's one thing about Nebraska that really impressed me, but I don't know, Ohio state, Michigan, get things get really interesting for that 
that one. And but before we see the Buckeyes in that big game, they still have to handle Purdue and they have to handle Michigan State. So I love Ten right now. I have still questions, and CJ was missing Garrett Wilson last week which played a role, I think, in the offense, just not being full strength. But he's still a freshman QB that we're just getting to know. And I reported a little bit about how the shoulder injury earlier in the season before he took that week off week four, it was a little more serious than we realized. It was really plaguing him. He had dealt with a separated AC joint um, against Minnesota week one. So he had to heal up and rest. He's still young. He's still just kind of getting his feet wet and all this, yet we expect these incredible expectations from these Ohio state quarterbacks, because we've had that in the past. So I like where they're going, but I still, I still am not sure. And for the Sooners, I just seeing them again in person is really going to be important for me this weekend. And then again, back to back. So I don't know, guys, I love how exciting it is. And like Wisconsin, you guys know, I love Wisconsin and they've totally turned things around. I mean, they're clearly not going to be in the mix at the end, but like, I had them when they were one and three and now they've won five straight. Right. So things are shifting and big 10 championship game could be fun this year. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I want to ask you about a team you saw not long ago, even though, as Stu said, it's a game that maybe the committee didn't see, which is Michigan State. I want to ask you, though, about being around Mel Tucker. I feel like when we get to do you know, games, you get a u- unique perspective into a program and sometimes into a head coach. I feel like from an early experience I had with Mel Tucker when he was at CU, it really resonated with me being mm-hmm. around him and being around his program. Um, what do you see? in terms of they have had a pretty amazing turnaround. It's not like they were terrible under Mark D'Antonio, but they have really got it going now. And like, what are your impressions about being around the program? And also Kenneth Walker, he may win the Heisman right yeah. now. And he's, I don't want to say he's come out of nowhere because he was a good player awake, but sure. just been an amazing story. I know BTN did a really cool feature kind of on him and his family and everything else. Like, Tell, take us a little more into your what you've seen from Michigan State. There's so many angles there, Bruce. And I, I always, it's the blessing and curse of being a sideline reporter because like I sit here and I want to talk to you all about Kenneth and the crazy journey he's had and dealing with blood clots. And in high school, doctors said he'll never play football again. I mean, like I had this great story to tell in the game. And those moments don't really make sense when it's such a close ball game. And you almost want to end the game and be like, wait, I have more guys on Kenneth. Let me tell you why he is so impressive. Um, starting with, with Kenneth, I, he blew me away talking to him one-on-one calm demeanor, 
you know, decides to go to Michigan state because he really bets on himself. And it, it does go back to the coach Tucker angle where he just knew what he needed. He had a recipe for the guys he needed. He brought in those 40 guys. We know that angle. And he clearly took advantage of the portal in all the right ways. But Kenneth was the guy where it was just who he wanted. He fit the mold. He liked his running style. And Kenneth felt like at Wake, it just wasn't the right fit for him. So he took a chance on himself. But to come into a program and to not only be this dominant, but also to be respected by your teammates in such a quick amount of time. I think Michigan state that always, that impressed me because if you don't have those leaders that have held on to kind of set the tone, how do you bring in that many guys? And it works. That's because of coach Tucker. He comes into our meeting room. He sits down. He has this soft spoken demeanor to the point where Gus actually asked him during the meeting. He's like, can you speak up coach? I can't hear you. (laughs) Like he has this quiet, kind of he's slouched over and he's like this is what I've been doing and this is why I you know this is what I believe in and then he like builds when you sit with coach Tucker it just builds and you he clearly expects excellence and he said something in the meeting that stood out to me my players will never experience something game day that is harder than what they've gone through at practice I think that that makes sense when you look at that program because they are just constantly pushed to another level. And when they were coming back for halftime too, coach Tucker was the most, one of the most fired up moments I've experienced waiting for a coach, you know, cause I, you get one going and you get one coming out. And I was waiting for coach Tucker after the halftime break, we're st- we still got a game at that point. Um, but they clearly had to come back and he was on another level. And I stood at attention. I mean, it was just really powerful listening to him and just seeing the leadership in that sense. So I was impressed by him. And I think the way the players view him, it's not for everyone. I think you'd have to understand that that's what you're going to get when you're playing for a coach like that. But I really, really was impressed. And I, I wasn't around him one-on-one last year with COVID. We were just over Zoom. I didn't feel like I got a good sense of him. But this year, wow. And I'm rooting for Kenneth because I just, oh, it's such a good story. And this is why we love college football, but you have stories like that, guys, that come out of nowhere. Since you brought him up, you mentioned Gus. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you you spend a lot of time with him. Not, I mean, we, we, for three and a half hours, we hear him get super excited over every big play. You got that in your ear during the game. And I want to know, but I want to know about, you know, when the, when the game's over or maybe the, maybe the night before the game or the morning of the game, like what's your best, give us, give us one of your best uh, Gus stories. Boy, there's too many. How long do you guys have Gus <laughs> stories? That could be a whole podcast. Uh, just this year, my favorite is that we finally, for five years, he and I have been trying to get on the ice and skate together. I obviously am from Minnesota. I grew up playing hockey, love the game. And Gus is from Detroit has been talking this big game about his hockey game. And I'm like, Gus, I can make this happen. Like we can skate at Wisconsin. I'll set it up with their men's coach, Tony Granato. I'll get us some ice time. So this year we finally went out and I just, I mean, I smoked him it was <laughs> 10 minutes in and Gus won't even deny it. He's like, that was really hard. Like I can't believe it. I'm like, yeah, Gus skating is a different level normal work. But I just, I think what's so fun about goal, and now that we've been together for five years, just the three of us, and then that whole crew has Chuck McDonald, our producer, our director, Rich Dewey, 
they have been working together for pushing 10 years now. So it's this family on the road and Gus really looks out for me. I mean, he's like this big brother that is my biggest fan and looks out for me. And, you know, people ask about the all American girl and take offense to it in such a way that honestly surprises me. Cause when I look at Gus Johnson, I'm like, what is Gus known for? He's known for nicknames, Hollywood. I mean, he's the guy who gives out nicknames. You mentioned Dicker the kicker earlier. And I think it's kind of a, a token of respect from Gus to have that nickname. And I like it. I think it's fun. I mean, it's, it doesn't offend me and everyone else who's offended by it. I think we need to find more things to be angry about, (laughs) but I just love working with Gus and Joel and the dynamic of Gus's energy and passion with Joel's analysis. And I would put Joel against anyone in this business because no one has taught me more about the game than Joel. I mean, he's not only incredibly hardworking, he's a good human, but he knows the game and he studies he doesn't miss a thing. Like I, I can never come to a weekend and say, Hey Gus, did you see that story about Kenneth and the blood clots? He's like, Oh yeah, yeah. That was crazy. Like he doesn't miss a thing. And I really don't take that for granted how much we all enjoy being around each other, because that's not the case for everyone and every crew. And I like, I look forward to getting on the plane Thursday because I like being around everyone I work with. And that's really says something about the culture at Fox too. Real quick, Bruce, I I just I want to thank Jenny for for voluntarily clearing up on the air that you you're fine with all American him calling you the all American girl. I've wondered it. Do I look offended by that? No, it's I have to be honest for five years. I've wondered, is Jenny okay with that? And but I I wasn't going to ask you that on the air, because what if the answer was no? Well, but see, that's like people don't you guys know me like if it bothered me, I would tell Gus we've had conversations about it. It's it's like it's a nickname. And I think it's fun that it has stuck with me in a positive way. I don't think there's anything negative about it. I mean, girl next door is, is a compliment in my eyes. So I guess I should be like the woman next door, but that doesn't have the same ring. And I think he could, he could evolve it, but that's not, it's a nickname. So by the way, he did know that your dad played in the NHL and you have a connection to the Hobie Baker award. Like he kind (laughs) of knew what he was getting into. Did he not? Yeah, he knew. And I'm like, I guys, I could have played college hockey. Like it was in the cards for me. I ended up playing lacrosse in college and, you know, my husband did go and watch and he, it was so funny because Gus was just like, can you get out here and show me th- some things? And Matt was like, no, I'm here to watch. I am here to purely enjoy watching Gus Johnson on skates. Um, but he's a great sport. And I just, uh, it's like, it's so fun doing what we do. And I don't, I do not take that for granted. Like there are a million people who want to do this job and I'm like, keep me here as long as I can, because this is the best of the best. And I love the storytelling, like just getting on the phone with players. And I think COVID put that in perspective, right. When we weren't able to be up close and personal with, with coaches and players. I mean, that's what we love most about this. So it's, it's just such a fun gig. Jenny, I feel like we've kept you too long. There's a bunch of other questions we have for you, but I'm fine. Whatever you got. I got a couple more. <laughs> well, there's one yeah. we have to ask. Okay? okay. So as if you don't have enough jobs already, apparently you're doing some work for extra. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's fun. Curb Your Enthusiasm is is the the favorite show of this podcast. I think it's the only non-sporting event Bruce watches on TV, actually. This is true. Yes. Um, I, I just watched the third episode of the season last night. You covered the season premiere. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us everything. Oh gosh. It was such an honor too. they, they called me. So where was I? I was in Texas 
preparing for that game and I get this random call from extra and I have subbed, I've kind of filled in for them in the past and I love it. Thanks to our, our colleague, Krista Thompson, who's just the best, right? We all know how great she is, but I had reached out to her and said, I wanted to do some entertainment living in LA. Clearly, like I pointed out, I love doing interviews and she hooked me up with extra, got, got me the interview. And it's been really great because I, I love that red carpet atmosphere, but they called me about curb they said two things like, are you free? Do you watch the show? I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> in truth, I haven't watched it religiously for the last, how many seasons are in season 11 right now, but I have always seen it. And I think Larry David is incredible and such a genius. And um, I called Krissa before as well, as she knows Larry. And I, I ran through a couple of questions and she was so sh- sweet. She was like, no, 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 don't, nope, don't go there with him. <laughs> we will walk away. And I thought that it was pretty telling. The first thing I said to him, I tried to make like a joke about side sitting, which I thought he'd appreciate because of, you know, like the sitting too close, the standing too close. And I think he got it, but he gave me like a typical, like, yeah, you're too close. Like, (laughs) you know, thank you, but no, thank you. And I just thought it was very Larry David. Um, But the cast was so kind. And in that setting, it's the opposite, right? Where college football, I get two questions. We're heading to the next game. I mean, they were like, keep talking, right? Like keep them going. Just keep the conversation going. Larry eventually moved on from me on his own, which I was well, well aware he would, but just talking to all the other actors and comedians and the show was so good. And you guys know it's not scripted. I mean, it just blows you away what they do. They set up these scenes, they have a plan, but it's totally improv. And I've never I mean, I think what we do is a form of turning it on and acting right in these games and moments, but improv, like I could never. So they're so talented and they were so kind and I'm hoping to do more entertainment stuff just because it's fun to flex a different muscle and living in LA, it's like, it's in our backyard. So hopefully I can do more. Man, if they, if Tim Brando find out that this extra gig is just about, they keep you say, just keep talking. It's so fun. It's just different. And you, you have fun questions and you want to get up. You just, you don't know how to necessarily, you don't know what you're going to get, especially in interviewing a comedian. Um, but I, I was on a different high from that. It's, I just, I love that. I love being challenged in different ways. So Larry David, how, how I think did Larry David end the interview? Like, oh, he truly just walked away. Like, it was like, <laughs> and we're good. Like, it, it was, I, I don't know what, I think I said something about, will there be another season? And it was like, we'll see. Like, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Like, I had pushed it. The publicists also, which you never really see in those moments, um, they will they will give you like a, it's time or a slight tap. So, you know, and it's like, if they give you this or like, we got to go. You, you need to say, maybe you can say, oh, Larry, one more because I'm being asked to, to move you on. But when they give that, they're, they're on their way out. So you have to know it's ending. And he just kind of like exited himself. <laughs> he gave me a couple of minutes, though. So I thought it was a win. Is uh, Gus Johnson a big Curb fan? I honestly haven't asked him about the show he was really excited i had the opportunity he asked me about it and i showed him the clips um others you should on show him show. the Susie stuff i think he'd probably identify with the Susie essman character Susie is just <laughs> so good like and she was so funny in person and uh, yeah like everything about it i you know when i think of her i just think of that portrait i'm sure you guys you know <laughs> like every time i think of her character i think of the portrait face and 
I love that episode. That's what With, I think. Of. Without giving any spoilers, they have really leaned into the Larry Susie rivalry this season. If, if that's one of your favorite things about the show and you haven't started watching season 11, you probably should. I watched uh, the first episode and then I'm, I'm, I have not la- watched two and three, so I'll get there. You know, Sundays, my day of zero movement. That'll be my catching up. <laughs> well, Jenny, you've given us so much time and you're already, you know, super busy schedule. You're literally talking to us from, you know, right after having done undisputed. So <laughs> we really appreciate it. And, uh, and hopefully we, we do see you in person here real soon. I hope so. Thank you guys so much for having me. I love what both of you do. And it's just, I can't believe we're towards the end of the season. Like November is here, but what a treat. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, Stu, we thank Jenny. It's always fun to, to chat with her, and we covered a lot of ground on that, and we're going to cover a lot of ground now uh, in the mailbag. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. This first question is from Mike in New Hampshire. Hey, Stu. Thanks, Mike. Uh, it seems like head-to-head results matter <laughs> until they don't. Remem- reminds me of the rule, you know it when you see it. Oregon is ahead of Ohio State because they are, quote, similar, so it matters. But Bama is above AM because they aren't similar. What is the threshold for when head-to-head matters? Is it just the number in the loss column? So a very timely question. Uh, I mean, when I was looking at the email, Mike sent this, I think, well before uh, Tuesday night when the story of the rankings was that somehow in the span of eight or nine days, uh, Michigan managed to go back ahead of Michigan State. Um, in my observation of it over the years, it's, you know, remember these aren't the same people every year. And I feel like the committee, some years adheres to it more rigidly than uh, rigidly than others. The weird thing about what's going on this year is uh, the committee actually seems to be on almost every case going out of its way to honor head to head. It even has, if you look at the order of Wisconsin, Purdue, Iowa, it's, Wisconsin beat Purdue, Purdue beat Iowa, et cetera. And of course, the Ohio State, Oregon example. But then they go and pull this thing with Michigan, Michigan State last night. And the answer that they gave was, and and strangely, apparently this was a debate even last week, even after right after they played that, well, we just think Michigan's the more complete team. So no matter what the final score of that game was, doesn't matter. Michigan is the more complete team. And I... So where that is coming from is the analytics that they care about. We, we have access to those. And even before this week, Michigan's profile statistically is actually closer to Alabama's 
than it is to Michigan State's. So if that's the justification, okay. But you know what? Ohio State's profile is way better than Oregon's. So I don't know why they find it extremely important to enforce it in that example, but not in the other example. I think watching the rankings Tuesday night, the thing that stood out to me was obviously the Michigan, Michigan state piece of it. But I think Luke fickle probably should be more aggrieved than Mel Tucker by seeing this. And in the context of this, I think this is just setting up as see, you know what head to head it's there, but like, if Notre Dame keeps winning and Cincinnati keeps winning, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they leaped Notre Dame above Cincinnati. I mean, that game was a long time earlier. Now, look, right now, it's not like Notre Dame has a gauntlet schedule. Their best win of all things right now is Purdue. And if somehow well, Purdue they also beats beat all- Wisconsin. Yeah, but I mean, right now, Purdue has two big time wins. If somehow Purdue beats Ohio State at Ohio State, I mean, that would be a huge chip for the Boilermakers. Well, we actually got another email. uh, I don't have it in front of me, but that was asking, okay, everybody's making a big deal on Michigan, Michigan State. Why is Michigan, for that matter, why is Michigan ahead of Notre Dame? Because Michigan, uh, their win, their one top 25 win is against Wisconsin. Notre Dame beat Wisconsin uh, even more lopsided and also beat Purdue. So they have two top 25 wins. They Michigan did lose point. at home. They did lose at home, whereas Michigan lost on the road. Lost at home to a team that's undefeated. Um, I I don't, I'm not, it doesn't bother me, you know, about the Notre Dame, Michigan order so much. Um, and also, you know, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, uh, most Gary, of stuff is going to sort itself. It doesn't matter. Gary Barta said they spent a half hour debating whether to put Michigan ahead of Michigan State or not. And you're just like, it truly doesn't matter. They're both going to play Ohio State. Whoever ends up winning the Big Ten East, if they have one loss, is going to go to the playoff. Or if they win the Big Ten, it's going to go to the playoff. Where they're ordered right now will have no bearing on where they're ordered at the end. They're going to settle it on the field. So it's like you could, you guys could have, you know, gone to the gone to the, the fitness room at the hotel. Right? <laughs> it would have been a better use of your half hour than that. I mean, what was the point of that? ask you a question this is a very big hypothetical but if michigan state wins out they would be 12 and 1 if michigan wins out they'd be 11 and 1 their only loss would be any slancing in a close game that they led for a while how realistic if that did happen do you think there is is two michigan schools going to the playoff very realistic because look how high the committee is on michigan right now so if you're saying they are going to they're the number 6 team and they're going to proceed to go ahead and beat Penn State and Ohio State to finish 11 and 1. Of course, they're going to go to the playoff. I would argue, it's, it's kind of probably silly to even do this now, but I would argue that they would go ahead of a one loss Big 12 champ. Um, I think they would go ahead of a certainly a two loss Alabama team. I don't know if they would go ahead of an undefeated Cincinnati team. They would go ahead of, I'm guessing they would go ahead of Pac 12 champ Oregon. Yeah, because then they would have beaten Ohio State. Ohio State would be a three-loss right. team at that point. Bruce, Michigan yep. is not going to win out. I mean, it's a fun it's a fun discussion to have. But, I mean, they are – I thought it was interesting that they are – so they're ranked sixth. Committee thinks they're great. Committee does not have Penn State in the top 25 at all and didn't really give an explanation why. Um, I'm assuming it's because they lost to Illinois. And those two teams play each other this weekend, and it's a pick 'em. 
Do you think this, do you, who do you think has a better chance of, of going undefeated the rest of the way, Michigan or Michigan state? Hmm. I would argue Michigan does because at least they get Ohio state at home and don't have to go to Columbus. Yeah. The only thing I would say though, is I don't feel like home field has particularly mattered, especially if you think about Ohio state, Michigan state over the years. Um, I mean that, that infamous 2015 Michigan state upset was in Columbus. Uh, the year before that, actually, when they were both in the chase for the playoff, Ohio State whooped them in East Lansing. Just hasn't it hasn't factored in as much. And, um, you know, I think we're all going to be skeptical that Michigan can beat Ohio State until they do it. So for that reason alone, I would say Michigan State has the better chance. Um, but there's also a chance Michigan State finishes nine and three. I'll tell you this much. If their defense doesn't play better than they did against Purdue, they're not going to beat Ohio State. So. We haven't had a chance to talk about the big news from Monday that Nebraska is bringing back Scott Frost. Uh, I seem to have been more shocked about that than you, or frankly, most of the state of Nebraska. So Brian asked from, from Millard, Nebraska, there seems to be a lot of, a lot of support for Scott Frost in the state from fans, despite the poor record. He's right about that, by the way. Uh, One of the Omaha world Herald writers did a Twitter poll and it was like 60% supported bringing him back. Uh, one of the rationales is if they fire Frost, who would want to come here? I don't agree with that sentiment. So I'm asking the ex- experts. Let's say Trev Alberts does fire Scott Frost, presumably next year, who, who was once considered to be the ideal candidate. What type of coach would Nebraska be in on? And can they find a better coach than the one who hasn't had a winning season in four years? Right, let's let's talk about Nebraska before we get to Brian's pointed question on that is Scott Frost basically fired his entire offensive staff. And this is a big pay cut. Yeah. Well, he will now be on his third offensive coordinator in three years. Uh, he brought his entire staff from UCF and the defensive side of the ball. Um, Eric Shenander has done a really good job. I think they're very good on that side of the ball offense. And look, Scott Frost is an offensive guy. Um, that has been an issue. The thing that I wonder about with them, and I, we don't know yet who he's going to hire as his OC and how involved, how hands-on he's actually going to be. But like, I mean, do you look at the personnel and go, Oh, they're, you know, a new offensive coordinator is going to come in and all of a sudden they're going to turn into a top 15 team. I mean, I don't know. I I'm interested to see how this is going to work out because usually somebody doesn't, you know, hit the reset button a third time and it works. You know, it's usually doesn't at that point. At least I, at least I don't think so from anecdotally kind of, you know, thinking about different situations like that. But, you know, maybe right now Trev Alberts has bought himself another year to go through this process. Um, you and I both talked about Wake Forest and Dave Clawson. We have a lot of respect for him, what he's done there. I have no idea if he'd want to be at Nebraska where it's not, it's, it's honestly, it's not that easy to meet expectations at this point. Uh, I, I don't know if the window will be gone about Matt Campbell, you know, will USC hire him away? I think Matt Campbell would be a, would be a terrific hire for Nebraska, but the timing might not work out. He might not be at Iowa state anymore. Maybe he will be, but I don't know. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure I'm looking at somebody and say, okay, there's a fit of a guy that is going to jump to Nebraska you know, I don't see Luke Fickle wanting to make that move. I don't think it's a big enough step up at all, especially now that Cincinnati's going to be in the Big 12. Um, I, I don't see it. I just like, I think right now they they went for 
a home, a homegrown guy who knows the program in and out had success at the, at the group of five level. Like there's nobody I look at, unless you're going to say, Hey, we're going to give Jim Leonard a chance say, what are you going to do on offense? But we, we, you know, we really like what you've done as a defense coordinator at Wisconsin in the same division. Beyond that, I don't know what they do. You know, there's not an obvious name, but at the same time, I think people are underselling that job. Um, you, you, for instance, you just said, well, Luke Fickle, I don't think he'll want to go because they're going to the Big 12. The Big 12 is going to be somewhere between Power 5 and Group of 5 in status in a couple of years when Oklahoma and Texas leave. The Big 10 is the Big 10. The Big Ten, you know, Nebraska is going to be soon getting a $60 million a year check from the Big Ten because of what we just talked about with Jenny. So many people watch their games. Um, and you've got massive fan support, uh, great tradition, all those things. Is it, it's, is it, are you going to win a national championship there like Tom Osborne did? Probably not, but you can be a lot better than they are. And, um, but they it, fire coaches for winning nine games a year. Oh, they, well, they did that. Yes. But, uh, I don't, you think this has been a bit of a reality check where it's like, Oh, maybe that was, I maybe now look, Bo Pelini, I don't, I, I don't really have a problem with them firing him at the record he had just because he was just so divisive. I mean, he was caught on tape cursing out the entire fan base. Like that relationship was so fractured. Um, but I, you know, I think this all can be traced to when they fired Frank Solich for going nine and three. Um, and that was Steve Peterson, who was in one of the most, uh, incompetent ADs. And, and I would encourage you to read the Mitch Sherman, Max Olson deep dive on that coaching search. But, um, let me, let me ask you real quick. You love to play this game. You love to put me on the spot with percentages. What's your percentage chance that Scott Frost will still be Nebraska's coach in 2023? Uh, I will say 34%. 34. That's very specific. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say one in three. I'm like, no, let me go a little stronger than that. Like the problem I have a little bit with it is I don't, you know, you and I are are very divided on Adrian Martinez. I'm not saying Adrian Martinez should be a Heisman candidate or anything like that, but I think he is a one man band for them. They have so little skill talent around him. You know, we've obviously heard that he's played with a broken jaw and he's played with an ankle injury. It was like as as mediocre as they are, I think they would be like they wouldn't even be competitive in a lot of these games if they didn't have him. And so, like, I don't know what they have in the wings that is going to make me say, oh, yeah, now all of a sudden there's going to be a new offensive coordinator like their margin for error to me seems very slim, especially when. You know, they make all these self-inflicted mistakes with penalties. They miss, you know, they're bad in the kicking game. It's just. They're not a well-coached team. So uh, you're way lower than 34%. Then. I'm at like 20% Okay. Uh, for a couple reasons. One, like you said, I mean, he brought, the, he, so he's hop, he fired all those offensive coaches. Who's he going to go out and get, you know, who, what, I mean, what, does he bring, does he bring Jake Peets, who is a Nebraska guy who has a good resume, but up till this year, this is his first year as a play caller. He's at LSU. It was definitely a work in progress. I mean, Jake Peets has a connection not there. Like they're off LSU's off. No, it's not. The world it is fire. definitely not. I mean, there's been a lot of two steps forward, you know, once two steps forward, two steps back kind of with, with that offense. But I don't know where he goes, especially when whoever you hire, you know you were going somewhere. I mean, this would be the similar thing if if they don't fire Dan Mullen this year at Florida is whoever, if you do have another year, 
you're going to go into a program that is the hottest seat in the, you know, in the conference. They're going to have to do a tech with me. I remember when Tom Herman, you know, they, they hired, they, they kept him, but he fired, I think both coordinators, right. Um, That's when he brought in uh, Yersich and, and Chris Ash, but they gave them all two year contracts, you know, just because they kind of acknowledge like the head coach might not make it more than a year. So here's your, guaranteed two-year contract they're gonna have to do that and then you're just trusting that scott frost who brought his whole staff from ucf then when he needed a new offensive coordinator hired matt lubick who was out of coaching at the time is going to go out and get somebody really good so uh, i don't have much faith in that and then like you said i think the best scenario for everybody with adrian martinez is that he goes in the transfer portal and gets himself a fresh start so he just needs i'm not Dump saying he's not talented or that he's hopeless. He just needs a fresh start somewhere. This this has been four years of this. And then Scott Frost needs to dip into the transfer portal and get himself his Hendon Hooker, who I think is the primary reason Tennessee is having so much success uh, in, in year one under, under Josh Heupel, another former UCF coach. All right, Robert Maydell from Seattle also brings up, boy, you talk about, uh, we've talked a lot about Dan Mullen on here. You know who else is having a not great time right now is Jimmy Lake, uh, who was suspended for a game this week, who also had to fire his offensive coordinator. And uh, it just feels like his his days are, are winding down there. So Robert Madel asks us who they would target if they decide to move on. Chris Peterson is still involved in the university. You think they would seek his guidance since his handpicked successor just flamed, would have just flamed out. Uh, I do think they would still seek his guidance on this. Um, yeah, I'll be more surprised if Jimmy Lake is still the coach there than if he's not at the, you know, at this point. Um, it's everything, just about everything seems like it's gone wrong there for them and this year, especially. Um, there's a couple of interesting names that are out there. And, and, you know, this is something that's come up from a few people. I know you've talked about how, and we don't need to go down the rabbit hole at Cal, but Justin Wilcox has obviously close ties to Chris Peterson. He knows the knows that division, knows that conference. Um, I don't know if if they look at Justin Wilcox and say, "All right, well, he's done. He's done a pretty good job there." It's not like he's like done a great job at Cal either. Um, I don't know if people would look at that hire as saying, "Okay, that's kind of uninspired." You know, that's a place that also has honestly has had some similar issues uh, offensively. You know, he kind of had a meh offensive coordinator, you know, not as bad as Jimmy Lakes. But I think that would probably be something where people would kind of, if you're a Washington fan, I don't know if you get that excited about that move. No, it's a sh- I think he would do well there, but. What's know, well, you, what's well, because you know, you know, who, you know what you're dealing with? You're dealing with Mario in this, you know, like in that same. Footprint. Yeah, you better. No, you better get I, I out think there. that I, I'm saying I don't think you can hire him because first of all, I think Justin Wilcox we don't have to get into the whole COVID situation, but after two years of dealing with this, I got to think he's looking to get out. Uh, the problem is, like you said, they've had, they've had some great defenses since he's been there. They've had terrible offenses every year. And as you know, like when you're, when that's the problem, you're going to fire Jimmy Lake for having a terrible offense. You're going to look for somebody who's offensive minded to come in. Justin Wilcox is, a, is, a, is the uh, definition of defensive minded, but um you know, it's going to be a good, I would think with all these Pac-12, I mean, they could have five Pac-12 jobs come open. Um, six, if Chip Kelly, uh, you know, 
limps to the finish here. Yeah, I'm talking Herm. Washington State's open. Washington's gonna come open, uh, and there and, and there's not a lot of proven guys out west. So you know, somebody like Jay Norvell could find himself in a bidding war. Somebody like Jay Norvell at Nevada could definitely find himself in a bidding war. Kalen DeBoer's stock is pretty good. I'll tell you who I think could have a lot of leverage right now is at Oregon. And I'm not talking about Mario. I'm talking about Joe Moorhead. He's an offensive-minded guy. He's He has head coaching experience. It didn't work out great at Michigan, Mississippi State, but it wasn't like it was a disaster. I mean, there was issues there, but I don't. I think it was just a bad fit. But he was a very good head coach at his alma mater at Fordham. Um he is, he's a really good offensive mind. And I think like you said about just kind of where Washington's at, I mean, Washington really was kind of struggling offensively for a little while now. Um, I think between Washington state and potentially Washington, I think Joe Moorhead's going to have some options there. I feel like we bring up Joe Moorhead for every head coaching opening. And this is how much things change over the course of a season. I can remember, us specifically when Pitt lost to Western Michigan, bringing him up as a replacement for Pat Narduzzi. That is a huge thing. By the way, that is, I know Pat does not listen to this podcast. I don't think, but that's Stu. That was you. You running Pat Narduzzi Narduzzi the door. Yeah. The only way I would defend that Stu is if you were trying to back channel to get Wanstead back there. (laughs) That's not a bad idea. No, but I say that just to say, and you talk about fit, like I know he's at Oregon now, but, that's his first. It's not like I don't think of Joe Moorhead as a West Coast guy in any way. And I feel like if his, I do think he should get another head coaching opportunity, but wouldn't it make more sense if it was back East? Would, but what are the jobs like? Pat's doing really well at Pitt right now. That I mean, UMass job just came open. Oh, no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Like I had a conversation with somebody in, in uh, coaching circles about UMass versus UConn. And it was like, obviously, UConn is not a good job. But then you start hearing the difference between like, I mean, UConn starts to sound like like uh, like it's Ohio State compared to UMass yeah. facilities wise. So Virginia Tech's going to be open. No, like, there'll be some there'll be some jobs back there, but uh, because at the end of the day, I think the Pac-12 is unique in that. Look, you you can there have been plenty of coaches who've gone into the SEC with no SEC experience and won in the SEC. Uh, but I think the West Coast culture is so unique. And the recruiting in particular, and how you have to recruit California, it's you need somebody with a, that has that experience. You know, Joe Moorhead's a great offensive play caller. Is he somebody who's going to go into these California high school powerhouses and beat out USC for a recruit? He might be. I mean, look if he if he can recruit well at other places, I don't see why he couldn't do that here. Um, I I disagree with you on that on that front. Okay. Well, I mean, by the way, Mario was not a West Coast guy. That's true. And he is kicked ass out here. Well, um, he's he's a really good recruiter. He is, I actually have no idea if Joe Moorhead's a good recruiter or not. It's not it's not something I really, you know, I always when I think of him, I always associate him with the play calling and the RPOs and whatnot. I haven't I don't really know. And obviously you can you can also hire good recruiters. So, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be wild. There's I mean. Somebody asked me in the mail, in the written mailbag about UCLA and Chip Kelly. And I'm like, Martin Jarman really needs him to win out because you don't want UCLA, you don't want to be on the job market the same year as USC and Washington, because I mean, nobody's going to pick UCLA over USC and Washington's arguably a better job than UCLA. I don't know if it's arguably, I think it is a better job than UCLA. 
Yeah, I mean, because it's I mean, it's been committed to football more than and ASU now. might come open too. Yeah, the the tricky part with ASU is you could be wading into big sanctions there. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, as always, send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you.